Yo, hope you have your vaccinations for Electric Liberty Land 222. Uh, this episode, guys, brought to you by the brand new podcast, Paul's to the Wall. Mike and Nick Paul, two libertarian brothers who actually have interviewed me. I think it was me and Mark, maybe Odie. I can't remember. Maybe it was just me on the, the best show. But we've been on their show before. Love these guys. They're funny. They're very well informed. They've had guests on, including Scott Horton, Gene Epstein, Pete Quinones, Jason Stapleton, Matt Erickson, and as I mentioned, yours truly. Also, guys, they talk not just about politics, but also bring in some experts about topics like history, cars, jiu-jitsu, music, even barbecuing, if you want to learn how to uh, toss a nice drumstick on there and not overcook it. Pause to the Wall, guys. Check it out, any of the major podcast platforms. Again, that's Pause to the Wall, P-A-U-L-S, to the Wall. Give them a listen. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and Liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. What's up, Buttercups? Welcome to Electric Liberty Land 222. Show notes at lionsofliberty.com slash episodes slash ELL222. By the way, I don't know if any of you uh, out there have heard the word, but I just launched a new, I'll call it a mini show over on our Patreon. It's called Good Morning Fuckhead. And basically what I'm going to do is just do a daily rant uh, or as daily as I can make it, but shouldn't be too hard for me to do a little daily rant. You know, something five, three, five, ten minutes, depending on the topic, but it's going to be on something that doesn't make it into the show. Because as I've told you before, I gather all these news links during the week and then inevitably I le- I have to leave stuff out. Like I just don't have enough time. You know, I can't talk for three hours at length like Joe Rogan because frankly, I don't get paid enough to do that. So what I'm doing on Good Morning Fuckhead is going to pick one topic that didn't make it into the weekly show per day and just rant on it for you. So check that out. It's a good time. And of course, we have lots of other offerings over at the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. So Joe Biden, Joe Biden, Joe Biden, obviously is going to be a topic on the show today. I am not going to go through the press conference that he held that, I don't know, it was, I tried to watch a bit of it. You know, I've read about it. Of course, of course, listened to some recaps and read recaps about it. I tried to watch. It was just so boring. It was so transparently planned out in advance where it was just, it was like watching the teacher's pet student's get, you know, ask questions of the teacher that they knew is exactly what the teacher wanted to hear. And the teacher only calling on these specific students that they knew would already know the answers that they wanted. It's just, it was a complete waste of time. Biden had a couple of gaffes, but again, I don't want to go into it. You can listen to any number of shows who already did recaps of it. It's old news at this point. However, there are things that I definitely want to get into on Joe Biden. Obviously, talking about vaccination passports, that's going to be the meat of the show. In the uh, Basically, I'll dedicate the whole second half of the show to that. But there are some things that I wanted to talk about in advance of that. Um, you know, talking about Second Amendment rights, talking about uh, you know, a little bit of Hunter Biden and the hilarity of uh, Joe Biden. I mean, if you don't know about this, I'll talk about that real quick. So Joe Biden's son, Hunter, who, of course... You know, I'm sure is still out there doing lines off hooker asses left, right, and center. Of course, if you do the line off the center, you got to be a little bit more character than if you do it off the left and the right, off the butt cheeks. Just FYI, it's a pro tip for everybody out there. But Hunter Biden, 
basically lied on a federal license for a gun. Like his, his gun application, he lied about it. This was found out the gun, I believe if I'm recalling the story correctly, the gun was stolen by his brother's wife who had been coked up with him at the time. And of course, this is the former wife of Bo Biden, right? So he is banging his dead brother's wife. Clearly there's some drugs involved. So she takes his gun, runs across and puts it in a trash can, like runs outside, puts it in a trash can across from a high school, right? Yeah, great thing to do that people that are clearly not under the influence of narcotics typically do all the time. You know, it's just a fun thing to do on a Sunday afternoon. So she hides the gun out there, tells him about it later. He runs out, tries to find it. It's gone, right? Turns up a few days later because a guy who goes through trash cans had found it and then returned it. But in the meantime, the Secret Service go to like this uh, StarQuest gun supply store, you know, wherever he bought the gun, and demand that he give them the records for the gun purchase. Presumably so they could falsify or deny that it was his gun in case it got used in a crime later. Because, you know, when you find a trash can gun, typically you might want to flip that around, sell it to some thug, maybe use it in a crime yourself. You know, really, the the world's your oyster with a trash can gun. But of course, it turns out that on the federal application for the firearm, it asks you specifically... Of course, it asked me this, you know, are you under uh, a regular user of narcotics, marijuana, blah, 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 not. So, of course, he says no, a blatant lie, <laughs> considering everything we know about Hunter Biden and the circumstances that led up to this very gun coming into the, uh, the public eye. And that is a felony. You're not allowed to lie on this form. So, of course, the Secret Service gets involved. They're trying to do the whole cover up. The thing hilariously comes out in the open. But naturally, we now see, once again, Hunter Biden getting favorable treatment, getting his dad stepping in and working all of his connections to cover up his son's misdeeds and misgivings, and basically allowing him to go through life skipping on a uh, a wonderful, you know, yellow brick road of uh, sweet powdered heroin and not have to worry about fucking up ever. Because Papa Joe is going to come in there and make it right by virtue of all of his connections and the government services that, of course, have such a large monopoly on violence, of influence, and of everything else in this country. So this becomes especially interesting because Joe Biden, just this week, right, we're talking about Hunter Biden abusing what is the uh, the federal registry for firearms. But in the very same week, you have Joe Biden out there talking about how They want to urge the Supreme Court to let police enter homes and seize guns without a warrant. Now, this comes in because of the whole concept like, you know, I did a a show back when Obama was in office because he had threatened to do executive actions, basically opening up public health records. Funny how this is going to come into with the vaccine thing, but opening up public health records and making it so that basically because of a, a virtually a federal red flag law, they could take your guns away for almost any reason. If you go to a psychiatrist, if you go to a doctor, let's say you go to a doctor, like I myself, I know I come across as a hilarious, confident man, which I am. However, I have dealt with depression in my life. I think a lot of people have, right? And I, at one point I was on antidepressants. And Basically, under the Obama administration purview, if you had asked your doctor for antidepressants and they said, oh, you know what? That's a that's a sign that this guy could be mentally unstable. Depression, of course, could lean to uh, suicidal thoughts. That's a reason to take away his guns. No guns for Brian. Or if you had gone to a psychiatrist and expressed uh, thoughts of anger, if you had gone to any sort of therapy for anger management issues, if you had been arrested for marijuana issues, 
opening up anything, anything and, and everything for the government to basically say, we're going to make it so you cannot own a gun ever again. We're going to step in. We're going to come in and take them. And there's nothing you can do about it. We don't need a warrant. This is under this executive action. Now, it never happened under Obama. But Joe Biden certainly seems to want to try his luck in regards to making this happen under his administration. And the specific case that the Biden administration is trying to influence the Supreme Court on has to do with a similar situation to what I'm describing, wherein a couple had an argument. They go, you know, the guy goes in, takes an unloaded gun and puts it on the table and says, why don't you just shoot me in the head right now? Right. To him and his wife in the height of this argument. He doesn't threaten her in any way. Right. But he says, why don't you just shoot me in the head right now? You know, you're so miserable. I'm so miserable. Just end it right here for me. Right. They continue to argue, but nothing ever really escalates. There's no violence. He drives off. And then she, I guess, goes to spend a night with a friend. She tries to call him the next day. He doesn't pick up. So she calls the cops to do a welfare check on him. Now, this, in my opinion, is a stupid move in general, but I guess she was coming from a good place. Maybe she thought that he had hurt himself, whatever. The cops show up. He's in there calm, right? Put the gun away, whatever. You know, I guess maybe it's still somewhere they could access it because that's part of the story here. But he's fine. The cops go in and say, yeah, he was fine. He was perfectly calm. He seemed okay. They asked him about his mental health. And he's like, that's none of your goddamn business. And it is none of their goddamn business. But they say, okay, we want you to go to a hospital to get a psychological evaluation. So the guy says, fine, I'll go to the hospital to get the evaluation. If you'll just get the hell out of my house and you're not going to take my gun when I'm gone. You're not going to go through all my house and search it and take my gun. So what do the cops do? Oh, yeah, they search his house and they take his gun away. So we now have a case wherein the cops were called for one reason. They end up coming in, taking away a man's firearms. And now, of course, he's going to be a ban on getting firearms for the foreseeable future. And it brings into question how much power police and the government should have, not only in violating the Fourth Amendment, you know, for search and seizure without really any probable cause whatsoever. You want, you're supposed to go and see if a guy's okay. And he ends up, you end up forcing him into a psychological evaluation and taking his firearms away. So there's not only that question of what should warrant cops being able to enter your home and, uh, and demand that you do things, but also now we get into the realm of mind reading, right? So now they can completely prohibit you from owning a, a virtually a, a, the second amendment, right? Your right to bear arms. They can just suspend that indefinitely because they're going to mind read. And in their opinion, even though you seem fine, even though you go and pass a psychological violation, whatever else, they can now decide that, well, you know, we still feel that we're justified in our actions. And of course, do you think the police union is going to back them up? Do you think the D Department of Justice isn't going to back them up? Of course they are. But this is what the Bidens of the world want. This is, the, this is the progressive view of some idyllic future wherein nobody has any privacy, right? And wasn't that something they were crowing about? In the future, while no privacy, I'll own no property, you know, this is, this is something we're supposed to view as a favorable outcome. No privacy, no responsibility because the government takes over that for you. The nanny state completely controls your life and you don't have to worry about anything, right? Just go along lockstep, goose-stepping along with all the other sheep here as we march off into the uh, totalitarian future that they envision. Just fucking lovely. So anyway, yeah, fuck Joe Biden. Uh, screw his entire take on guns. I'm still waiting to see what these executive actions he's promising are going to be. I can basically assure you they will be almost exactly what I've already described to you in what the Obama administration was threatening before. Getting into psychology, getting into health records, getting into psychological evaluations. And of course, the demand 
that the government had placed upon all of these doctors to digitize all of your records also makes them infinitely more accessible, infinitely more hackable, which naturally also ties into the entire conversation about vaccine passports. But again, we're not there yet. Uh, a couple more things I want to hit on before we get into the vaccine convo. And I do have some idiots of the week to get into later to, uh, in the episode as well. But Utah's governor, despite the protestations of many a uh, sexy young lady and big bedonged man, the governor of Utah has signed into a guy named... Sp- <laughs> Uh, I didn't realize his name until now. <laughs> it's pretty funny for a guy that's signing a bill prohibiting porno on phones. Spencer Cox. Yep. Good old Governor Cox swung his big dick around and signed HB 72. And this is a restrictive bill, which basically makes it so that you have to have a porn filter on your iPhone or tablet. Here's what Cox told reporters, quote, I do think that pornography is a problem with it, especially with younger and younger people and what it does to their brains when they don't have a real ability to understand and make those choices. So really, we want to empower parents. Think of the fucking irony, the hypocrisy in that. We're trying to empower parents by demanding that they parent in our prescribed fashion. That's not empowering anything. That's empowering you. That's empowering government. That's empowering regulation. That's empowering the company that sells a porn filter for your phone. That's not empowering a parent. What would be empowering a parent is allowing them to decide how they want to deal with the topic of sex. And if they want their kid finding out about sex by virtue of stumbling across some porn sites on their phone, that might be the best possible fucking outcome. Maybe some people are terrible at talking about sex and simply seeing it on a phone might be the fastest and easiest way for a child to learn about it. They can talk to their friends. Frankly, I don't know how I'm going to talk to my daughter about sex. I know it's going to be early on. I know I'm going to try to dissuade her from spreading it for any uh, Tom, Dick and Harry that might come her way. But this seems like a reaction from people that are desperately terrified about the conversation of sex, which is not surprising coming out of Utah which I'm sure, like all things, just like the Japanese, just like the Germans, when you have these more totalitarian, authoritarian, uh, more inward-looking, you know, put on a very stoic face societies, you know, and the Mormons are no different, there is always a very deeply perverted underbelly, underbelly that comes out from these things. You can't squash down one aspect of the human condition without seeing tentacles of nasty squirt out of all the different little holes and nooks and crannies that are not being uh, shined upon in public. Anyway, to continue with big uh, swinging Dick Cox's statement here, if nothing else, it sends an important message, I think, to people that we need to do better there, and then we'll see what other states do. I can tell you what other states are going to do. Nothing. Nothing. Because this is absolutely unconstitutional to force people to block content from their phones. How the fuck is that even remotely constitutional? You are now prohibiting the access of my information. You know, porn, it is, I mean, look, it's entertainment. It can certainly be classified as education. It can certainly be classified as therapy for a lot of people. But to say that I can't access an entire realm of entertainment because the government thinks that it's too dirty or that children of a certain age might accidentally come across it, or even if they're intentionally coming across it, that's the parent's problem. 
That's not your problem, Nanny State Cox. That's not for you to stand in there and tell me how I am going to be able to to parent my child and what I can and can't download on my phone. Just unbelievable. I feel like there's going to be lawsuits. This is going to be overturned pretty immediately on First Amendment grounds. And this man will be voted out of office. So let's hope that all three of those things happen very quickly. Hopefully a, a Gavin Newsom style recall. Because we've seen, folks, I don't know if you know this, the entire uh, technology realm is driven by porn. You know, back in the day, VHS became a thing because of porn. It was either based upon VHS or Betamax. I had both. I told a very funny story on Degenerate Gamblers, which you have to go to our Patreon to hear. By the way, new Degenerate Gamblers coming this week. Um, about how I had used Betamax recording off of VHS as a sophisticated man I was to uh, to download and, and record my own porn back in the days of cassettes. Yep. Industrious young Brian McWilliams. <laughs> recording porno, recording his grandpa's porn tape from one to the other when his parents were out, his mom was still at school and his dad was at work. Um, yeah, anyway, this guy's just an absolute, absolute fucking clown. Um, all right. Another thing I want to get to, and let me see. Yeah, okay, good. We're like 17, 15. Yeah. All right, so I can talk about this and then we'll take a little commercial break so I can tell you about the Zipix toothpicks. But something that really caught my eye and I thought was pretty fascinating is Denmark, which of course, Denmark, also one of the, you know, one of the most oft-cited societies that we're supposed to look to as the uh, the model of democratic socialism, despite the fact that they are quite capitalist and actually have less restrictions on business than we do. But they also are pointed to as, oh, look at this, you know, all white nation that has taken in so many non-Western immigrants and how great it is, just like Sweden, just like, you know, several of these other countries in the region, but like Sweden and other countries in the region that have quickly adopted a massive influx of people that do not share their culture, do not share their values or their uh, their shared heritage uh, and understanding have been basically uh, having some issues getting a little acculturated. Tends to be a lot of rapins. Tends to be a lot of violence. Tends to be a lot of people that aren't getting jobs. So, flash forward, right, to, I would say, a questionable but uh, quasi-predictable outcome to some of this in that Denmark and the Danish government have now announced a new package of proposals aimed at fighting, quote, religious and cultural parallel societies. Now, this really, really fascinated me because when we talk about culture, we talk about how vital culture is for society to be harmonious, how we acknowledge the fact that, you know, when we look at libertarianism and and how we look at the world, oftentimes a culture has to be at a certain point in its evolution, its beliefs to allow our vision of uh, society to play out. It has to be a a certain level of understanding, a certain level of, again, self-reliance, of entrepreneurship, um, of respect for oneself and one's neighbors in order to be able to succeed. And that's where it's so frustrating looking at the United States and some of these other societies because it feels like we're going backwards. We're getting away from that. And culturally, we have some battles to fight. And this, of course, is not unrelated to the massive amount of immigration that has come in. People coming from different countries that have more socialist mindsets, have these people that are more uh, you know, lockstep with democratic or progressive thinking and how that does, in fact, change the landscape and change the culture. And just by de facto numbers coming in of very, very different 
different cultures, you are going to change the very fiber of a nation and get away from what had enabled it to get to the point that it was at. So let's talk about Denmark specifically, though. So Denmark specifically, now let me say this, Denmark does have pretty pretty severe uh, constrictions on immigration, number one. So it's not like, you know, I, I compared it to Sweden earlier, but I want to clarify that Sweden took in massive swaths of, of immigrants. Uh, Denmark, not so much, but they'd have taken in immigrants from other nations uh, in the past and, uh, of course, currently. So let me read you a couple of these quotes. Like This is from a report from the Danish government, Showdown with Parallel Societies. Quote, as a society, for too many years, we have not made the necessary demands of newcomers. We have had far too low expectations for the refugees and immigrants who came to Denmark. We have not made sufficiently tangible demands on jobs and self-sufficiency. Therefore, too many immigrants have ended up in prolonged inactivity. Um, they also go on to talk about how, as a society, this is from Danish Prime Minister Met Fredriksen, Quote, as a society, we must step into more into character and step to our Danish values. We must not accept that democracy is replaced with hatred in parallel societies. Radicalization must not be protected. It must be revealed. So this comes in the wake of uh, studies that found that something like they had about half a million or 700,000 non-Western Danish in a country. Uh, and this is over the past 20 years, right? In a country of almost 6 million. So over the past 20 years, they've added almost a million immigrants into this you know, very homogenous society. So what they've decided they want to do, and there's, you know, I, I'm not going to go into everything that they're proposing, but a large extent of this comes in the ways of capping immigration even further, especially for non-Western immigrants, and also their plans to break up what they call ghettos. And I also want to stop calling them ghettos, but- and also they want to encourage them to learn Danish, you know, get a job and integrate, you know, basically acculturate. So one of the things that they propose in this society is they want to go in and actually relocate, forcibly relocate people that live in non-Danish ghettos, you know, of basically like your Chinatowns or uh, your, I don't know what you'd call it, little Chihuahua, you know, whatever the, whatever the fuck it might be, uh, <laughs> little Iran. So get in there. And relocate so that there's no more than 30% of a non-Western population in a given area. They view this as a way in which they can get rid of the parallel society mindset, wherein people are speaking their own language. They're only dealing with each other. They're not making an effort to actually become part of the Danish cultural landscape. Now, that, of course... I oppose. I mean, you can't just simply come in and uproot people because you have a problem with them not being coming, becoming a culture in your society. I mean, if anything, people, once they are admitted, should be able to live freely where they want to live. If they want to live somewhere where it makes sense that they can speak to people in their own language, they should be able to do so. And it seems especially perverse to force them to move and relocate now. If anything, you can ask people as a condition of coming to your country to locate themselves in a certain region. You know, that because I could see that being a fairly reasonable, even though I'm still not really for that, I could see that being a more, more reasonable solution than, hey, we're going to ship out 70% of the people in these regions to avoid having a quote unquote parallel society. But I do like the further emphasis on acculturation, on learning a language, on, you know, this is where you get people pushing back on English as the official language of the United States. And the US doesn't have an official language. So, People push back and they go, well, that's not fair. That's being racist. That's being whatever. But it's not about forcing people into speaking your language just for the sake of doing it, for white supremacy or whatever else. It is so you can communicate and so people can become acculturated faster. 
once you have a fundamental understanding when people can speak the same language, you are going to have far less misunderstandings. You're going to have far less cultural, uh, you know, at loggerheads and far less violence because you're going to become friends with people. There's virtually no way to become friends with somebody if you don't speak the same language and you don't interact with each other on the daily basis. That's where, of course, not having a job also comes in. You know, if you simply like, again, in the Sweden model, take all of these immigrants, none of whom necessarily have life skills, you know, cultural skills, job skills in which to integrate in your society, you now are basically paying them to sit around on welfare and encouraging them to partake in violent acts by virtue of them not being able to make money any other way. You also have nothing to do all day, like in Sweden. And I'm not, I don't want to compare just, you know, hey, if you get a lot of immigrants, there's going to be rape gangs, but there are massive amounts of rape gangs coming from Middle Eastern immigrants. Um, I think it's somewhere else too. But you have, you have something like, and, and again, this is something very underrepresented in the media, underreported. There was something like a 70% increase in rapes, you know, over the last five, 10 years since this massive influx of refugees was admitted. So it does, you know, when I saw this article, at first I was repulsed. I'm like, God, they're going to target and, and, and go after these parallel societies. That is sickening. And, you know, I still do think that there are many problems with it, but it brings up something that needs to be discussed, which is namely that when you have a culture that has existed, that has ha- existed harmoniously, become one of the wealthiest nations on the planet, you know, doesn't get involved in wars, doesn't have famine, doesn't have high, uh, you know, rates of violence, of murder, of starvation, of famine, or anything else, there is something to be said for that culture that they have fostered there. And if you have parallel societies that are coming in there, that are developing and that are not acculturating, you do have a problem. And that is something that has to be discussed. Now, we know in Europe, there is a lot more focus on maintaining a cultural identity than there is the United States. And I I don't think that's a great thing that we don't have some emphasis on maintaining a cultural identity. And I also don't buy the whole concept of America's always been a melting pot. It's the same now because it's different when you actually have people coming in by you know, millions and millions and millions and millions at a time every year, that's going to have a much greater shift, especially when you have HR1 and these other bills to basically allow illegals to vote right away. That is going to have a much greater impact on your culture and your uh, legislation and your government action than a naturalized migration process or, or say open border process where everybody can come. Because typically the people that are going to be on your border the closest are going to be the mass amount of numbers coming through. And we, of course, we see that play out because the massive amount of immigration is from Mexico or from Latin America because they share a border with us. Whereas if we want, you know, let's say we wish we had more immigrants from Africa and we wish we had more immigrants from uh, Europe, those people have a hell of a lot longer way to go here. You're just not going to see the same influx. Anyway. Getting back to the parallel societies concept, I do wonder if you're going to see that kind of model spread throughout Europe in regards to dealing with immigration. You know, I know Germany has issues. Like I said, Sweden has massive issues. I'm not sure where France stands on this. Of course, France has uh, people rioting every day over, you know, whatever, because they, because they have to work four days a week instead of three days a week. They go out and they're, they're overturning cars in France. But I was reading that in France specifically, there was a large problem with um, immigrant populations to the same extent that this is not having jobs, not being able to find work or not wanting to work, and then resorting to violence, resorting to kind of gang mentality and not acculturating in every any way, shape or form. 
Now, one interesting aspect of this plan that uh, Denmark's proposing, too, is to try to abolish a lot of the public housing, right? Demolish it and instead build new housing for private rentals. So to get rid of this publicly subsidized, you know, low maintenance, uh, low income welfare area and instead make that into a normal residential area again. But again, this is this is by virtue of them shipping people out because obviously you can't tear down these apartment complexes until you move people out of there in order to build these new houses in. Anyway, so that's that. I thought you guys might take an interest into it. It does, you know, it becomes something that is extra notable because of the current status of immigration within the United States. Obviously, with libertarians, the borders issue is a topic that we often have disagreements on. I myself still do think that we have too much of a welfare system in place to have open borders. I think that it's just asking for, like I said, a rush of people to come in here when, you know, why wouldn't you? We have people lining up in the hundreds of thousands to get in here right now. Of course, they're going to come in. And if those people then have a right to vote or, or citizenship path, then that becomes a real issue. For me, the best solution would be to actually have a fairly strident and stringent border considering the policies we have in place. But I would want people to come and work freely. Uh, I don't think that citizenship or permanent residency should be something that necessarily is easy to come by. Uh, but I do think the ability to come and work the ability to um, to provide economic benefit to the country, to become acculturated by virtue of coming and working and then going back, et cetera, and then coming through and immigrating later on is a little bit more of a um, a reasonable solution than, okay, everybody come on in right now and let's see how you transform society without knowing in advance what repercussions are going to happen here. You know, I, I do think that that's something that People don't like to talk about the, the libertarian argument for open borders seems to be that you can't restrict people's movement, which I, again, being a big proponent of private property, I don't think that that is something you can say confidently and, and win in a debate about, because frankly, what is a nation if not uh, if we don't take private property into account? And, you know, you're not going to allow somebody just to walk across your private property willy nilly and to trample all your shit. If a bunch of people want to get through there. You're going to have an issue with that. And on the same note, um, you know, again, people talk about the economic benefit, but sure, I'm, you know, I I agree completely. There could be vast economic benefit, people coming in, working, buying, you know, providing new ideas, but we have to talk about the cultural impact of things. And I don't know what that would be. It might be great, might not be great, but it certainly seems that throwing open the doors and welcoming the grand experiment that could Back, you know, basically could backfire so spectacularly where we just lose everything we have is something that shouldn't be just thrown about willy nilly and, and taken lightly as some sort of plank platform that we have to just blanket accept. All right. You know what we should accept, though? Delicious nicotine infused toothpicks from Zippix Toothpicks. That's Z I P P I X toothpicks.com. Use promo code ROAR, R O A. R roar to get 10% off your order, guys. Check them out. They not only have either two milligram or three milligram nicotine infused toothpicks, but they also have what's become my favorite, my go-to, the B12 and caffeine toothpicks. Now, these things are a godsend. They, my hangover is better. They pet me up in the morning. But not only that, you know, either one, the nicotine ones or the caffeine ones, you get that nice hand-to-mouth feel. If you're used to smoking or vaping, they can really help kind of you know, fend off that craving, give you that nice buzz. And also, these things are a hit. 
Trust me. You go out, you tell somebody about them, they're going to go, let me try them. These things are awesome. You will absolutely love them. And again, these are FDA registered. These are developed in a lab. These are vacuum sealed. You know, these, these aren't made in somebody's backwood shed. This is a fine, fine product, and you can get them, again, 10% off using promo code ROAR. Go to zippixtoothpicks.com. All right, back into the show. I want to start off. This is going to be a little bit of a long clip. It's two minutes, but you have got to hear the CDC's new director and this unbelievable performance that she put on in this stupid video, Dr. Rochelle Walensky. I mean, she is sopping up the tears. She is really hamming it up to sell us on vaccinations and how doom awaits us all. Doom! But seriously, this performance is not, I mean, you would think somebody that's the director of the CDC would come together, be a professional instead of a politician, activist, uh, dramatist, thespian that she is. Listen to this horse shit, and then I'll be back with you. When I first started at CDC about two months ago, I made a promise to you. I would tell you the truth, even if it was not the news we wanted to hear. Now is one of those times when I have to share the truth, and I have to hope and trust you will listen. I'm going to pause here, I'm going to lose the script, and I'm going to reflect on the recurring feeling I have of impending doom. We have so much to look forward to, so much promise and potential of where we are, and so much reason for hope, but right now I'm scared. Um, I know what it's like as a physician to stand in that patient room, gowned, gloved, masked, shielded, and to be the last person to touch someone else's loved one because their loved one couldn't be there. I know what it's like when you're the physician, when you're the healthcare provider, and you're worried that you don't have the resources to take care of the patients in front of you. I know that feeling of nausea when you read the crisis standards of care and you wonder whether there are going to be enough ventilators to go around and who's going to make that choice. And I know what it's like to pull up to your hospital every day and see the extra morgue sitting outside. I didn't know at the time when it, would, when it would stop. We didn't have the science to tell us. We were just scared. We have come such a long way. Three historic scientific breakthrough vaccines, and we are rolling them out so very fast. So I'm speaking today not necessarily as your CDC director, and not only as your CDC director, but as a wife, as a mother, as a daughter, to ask you to just please hold on a little while longer. I so badly want to be done. I know you all so badly want to be done. We are just almost there, but not quite yet. And so I'm asking you to just hold on a little longer, to get vaccinated when you can, so that all of those people that we all love will still be here when this pandemic ends. Yeah, allow me to lose my script and tell you guys that I'm scared too. Because when you see this kind of theatrical bullshit coming out of the director of the Center for Disease Control, which, you know, before now, I knew that they had played up some things. Obviously, SARS was nonsense. You know, remember that? Remember the bird flu? They played that up. That was nonsense. Remember the swine flu? They played that up. That was nonsense. You could even argue, honestly, that the HIV crisis was blown out of proportion and only affected a minuscule portion of the population, probably about as much as COVID. 
There was at its height, maybe 1% of the United States population was infected with HIV. Now, this bitch is saying she's scared. Frankly, I have to go off the script and just try to convince you that you need to be scared as a wife, as a mother, as a daughter. Give me a goddamn break. I can't think of a time in history when a non-politician, right? And this is supposed to be a non-politician. This is supposed to be a scientist. This is supposed to be a woman of numbers and facts, of statistics and infection rates based in hard science is now trying to scare you into submission. She's trying to use emotional tactics, emotional hooks. Think about your loved ones. I've looked into the eyes of people that were dying in the emergency room with my mask on. Don't you want your grandma to live? You're killing the elderly. Trying to use emotional hooks to convince you to continue to bow down, kneel to the government powers, Kneel to the dictators that have taken over society and have locked you inside your houses, have shuttered your businesses, and now have threatened to limit your ability to travel, to freely operate, to interact with people, lest you get a vaccination passport. So let's get on to that, right? Because it's no coincidence that the new head of the CDC is coming out here trying to scare your socks off because they know they've got quite the hurdle to try to get this vaccination passport into the minds of the American populace to an extent where they will be accepting. And this is something that I can guarantee you five years ago would have been met with such vitriol, such absolute rejection and revulsion that it would have been a non-starter. But the American populace has been scared and cajoled. The leftist media has been so completely arm in arm skipping down the street with the politicians who want to shut us down and scare us into submission. And they're happy to do so because obviously fear and terror lead to a higher ratings. But Americans now are more than happy to yell at others on Twitter, on social media, who dared to question whether or not a vaccination passport crosses that Rubicon into totalitarian, uh, dystopian, and Orwellian futures. And I think that without a doubt, it does. I mean, you've gotten, Naomi Wolf had written a, a book. It was like the 10 steps to totalitarianism, right? And I've been reading a lot of her stuff recently. She's nailed it. We're on step 10. When you have healthcare merging with government, merging with tracking software, and I'll talk more about that in a second, you are there. The government's already locked us in our houses. It's already controlling the economy. It's already controlling your, your freedom of movement. It's already controlling your livelihood. It dictates whether or not you can you can bury somebody. Whether or not your children can be educated. Well, granted, you know, homeschooling is the, the benefit of this whole lockdown scenario. But she now is trying to convince you this is doomsday, right? And this, I love that, that she's scared, that there is impending doom. Even though London just reported zero deaths Sunday. London, oh, such a hotbed, right? Yeah, zero deaths. Florida, right? Shouldn't that be just uh, just bodies lining the streets? You know, get rid of the curbs. We don't need curbs anymore. We've got dead bodies that we can put in there. Don't worry, people. We'll line them up. We'll jump them like evil can evil. That's how many COVID deaths. No, that's all nonsense. They're rooting for Florida to fall. 
You know, it's like Dave Chappelle said on, on uh, the show I was talking about a few weeks ago, when Dave Chappelle says, when a hero falls, the cowards rejoice. These people, these cowards know they're wrong. They're grasping at straws desperately to try to keep power because they are demonstrably wrong, scientifically wrong. This virus has done nothing close to what they had touted. And the public perception, this is based upon a study that just uh, came out in, by Brown and Dartmouth universities. The public perception has been so altered by the media coverage of this, the hysterical media coverage, that most people think that the death rate among the population was something like, you know, the general population had a 50% mortality rate, rather than just that the elderly population more than dominated, you know, 95% of deaths. The general population thinks that like your next door neighbor that was 40 was dying. They also think that children... And young adults have some high propensity that they actually, the, the site that, the, or the statistic that was cited in the study said that most of the average population thought that the death rate for children and teens was 20 times what it is in reality. So they still knew it was low, but they would say, oh, I, I'm sure, you know, something like 100 kids have died. No, <laughs> absolutely bullshit. Like five kids have died. And even those, a lot of those deaths were also not distinctly from COVID. Of course, it has to do with comorbidities. It has to do with outside factors. These weren't just perfectly healthy kids. So they try to scare you into this. And of course, there's a new, another hit piece that just came out that all the leftists are, are kowtowing. Oh my God, see, this clearly is the case is that Florida has undercounted their COVID cases. Even though the piece itself, and I can't remember what fucking hack wrote it, some jackass it says in the piece, it's a, and again, misleading headline, as they all are, that the numbers in Florida deserve higher scrutiny, right? So just based on that, you know, there is no hard evidence within this piece, or they would have said Florida undercounts COVID deaths. DeSantis lies about COVID deaths a la Cuomo. But no, the article itself says there is actually zero evidence that there's been any miscounting, but that they feel scrutiny is needed to explain how this could be possible. It's just fodder for the morons, fodder for the useful idiots. So you've got the concept of vaccine, pa vaccine passports. You've got New York City already offering, I think it's called like the Excelsior app. Excelsior! Where people can go out and businesses can quote unquote voluntarily opt to use this vaccine, vaccination passport so you can show and log on and share your healthcare data. If you get a vaccination, it logs right into the system. Just download it. And then you go to a bar and they say, this is going to be great because it's going to be too slow to check people one by one, right? So this makes it so much easier. You just scan it and in you go. And the Biden administration is pretending that this is some free market solution, right? Jen Psaki is up there saying, well, this is a private market, free market-led solution that we're simply advising on so that there's the same standards across the board. Bullshit. Bullshit. There is no way in fucking hell the free market, comprised of what used to be millions of companies of all sizes, is leading the charge on this. One would argue that even for the largest retailers, it doesn't make a lot of sense for them to introduce this, this mandatory vaccination passport app that you have to download to go into their stores because they know, should they do that, people like me and millions of others across America will opt not to shop there. 
I became a fan of going to Target. I, you know I love Costco. God, I love Costco. All my fucking clothes come from Costco. I'd be nude, running around, dong to the wind. We're not for Costco clothing. But if Costco told me I have to have a vaccine passport to go there, I would immediately cancel my fucking membership. One second. Goodbye. As would millions of other people. Same thing with Target. I go to Target every day. Well, not every day. Drop my daughter off, stop, get some coffee, grab a snack. I don't know. Buy some underpants. Oogle some ladies. No, just kidding. I don't do that. Wink, wink. No. And I, I would, in a second, stop shopping there. I have a million other options. At least I used to before the government lockdowns shut down all the competition. So now it actually does make more sense that the larger corporations would want to mandate this or have it be adopted across the board because they know that they've crushed the competition already. They know that by virtue of the government limiting capacity of shutting down small stores who can't seem, can't adapt, can't put up plastic screens everywhere, can't constantly shift to whatever whims the dictatorial governors of these states happen to mandate, that they have to shut down while the big ones could, could roll with the punches. But here's the other thing, is even if it was a, a private free market-led initiative, right? Well, I looked to companies that were private free market-led initiatives that were widely adopted by the public that promised us privacy, like Facebook, like Google, like AT&T, like Bank of America. What does Facebook do? Team up, give information to the FBI, work hand-in-hand hand with the government, give them all sorts of data on what you're doing, what you're looking at, report you for various infractions, whether it be they woke infractions, be they reports of extremism, be they tracking you uh, to make sure you're not an alt-right capital rioter. We've got Bank of America that turned over data citing gun sales to people, uh, in, in, again, in the wake of the capital riots. You have Google providing data and teaming up with big government. Look at uh, what's going on with China, censoring content. You have AT&T turning over your data logs and your call records. No problem at all. No privacy protection for you. So I'm supposed to trust that the government is going to be hands-off, simply advising private companies in how to develop a completely voluntary app that's supposed to make life so much easier. Everybody can go everywhere again, right? You can open it right up for everybody and not take any of that data and not look at my healthcare data and not access the tracking that is going to be embedded in that app? I mean, there's no doubt about it. Why wouldn't they? We already know that they secretly spied upon all of our call records, all of our, you know, all of our location, all of our browser history for a, almost a decade under Obama. And I'm supposed to trust them now. In the wake of what I already said about the executive actions of healthcare records being the key to them coming in and banning you from doing all sorts of things in regards to your freedom of movement, in regards to your Second Amendment rights, in regards to your Fourth Amendment rights. I'm just supposed to just go along to get along, huh? Fuck no. Absolutely not. This is a non-starter. And libertarians have to stand up and say, absolutely never. Will we accept this road? This is the road to tyranny. Like Naomi Wolf is saying, this is the final step. We've already accepted lockdowns. Now we're going to accept a tracking app that dictates when or when we cannot go and buy food, when we cannot can or cannot travel, when we can or cannot access medical care. Because I'm sure that if you don't have your vaccine, they're going to say, well, you can't go in to get the, you can't go to the hospital. That's too dangerous. You have to go get vaccinated first. Make sure you get that app. Now, let's also just talk about the fact that 
the UK, right, is also, they're not stopping at, at simply having an app on your phone, right? Because they say that even that's too slow. So what do they want? Oh, they want facial recognition as well. This is a legitimate push in the UK, which has already become one of the most insane, you know, George Orwell 1984 societies wherein they are being tracked, monitored nonstop. I mean, they are a police state at this point. So the next step, they want to have facial recognition technology. Now here in the US, you've seen pushbacks against it. I think it was maybe Arizona had, had outlawed it. A couple other states have made steps in that direction to outlaw facial recognition technology in use by law enforcement. However, I guarantee you they're already doing it. So now what a convenient excuse though for the UK, and I'm sure somebody will float the idea here, but what a convenient excuse for having to get everybody's faces recognized. Now, I use an Apple iPhone that unlocks itself by my face, so they probably already have my shit. But let's say you don't. Let's say whatever, you're off the grid. Let's say you've managed to protect your identity. Let's say you're not on social media. Well, now if you want to go get a drink at your local pub, well, you better comply. Otherwise, you're not going in. You can't go to a concert. You can't go to the mall. You can't go out to eat. And let's not forget either, though. You know, the federal mandate, right? They're saying this is going to be federally mandated. But you know the way in which they'll attack this. You know it will be a PR nightmare by the leftist media that has tiptoed along and you know, happily thrown flowers to the masses to, that are poison. You know, just spreading cancer of the brain to everybody by virtue of the reporting on COVID. You don't think the leftist media will delight in reporting on, uh, on institutions, on companies, on businesses, on restaurants that don't go along with this vaccine? You don't think that they will go and shame them into trying to comply? But not only that, it's not just that you know the public relations attacks are coming. Regulatory attacks will be coming, right? How, you might ask, how is that going to be applying if the federal government says that they are not going to be involved with the adoption of this vaccine passport? Well, I'll tell you very simply. If you have a vaccine passport, they're going to say, well, we know everybody coming into your business has been vaccinated now, so there's no danger. So you can have full capacity. You who don't have a vaccine passport in your facility, well, you have to operate at 25% capacity because we don't know if everybody's been vaccinated. We don't know if it's safe. So you still have to operate by the arbitrary, completely non-scientific social distancing guidelines, which we have forced you to live under. Otherwise, you just have to shut yourself down. So what do you want to be at? Do you want to be shut down? Do you want to be at 25% or do you want to be at good old full capacity? Huh? You could get right back to living that life that you dreamed of if you just force everybody that comes in here to comply and get this this innocent vaccine passport. What do you think most businesses are going to do? Unless they can band together, unless they grow up a fucking spine, unless somehow you know we libertarians can get in there, wedge, in, wedge ourselves in there, work as a buffer to stop this from taking place, to stop it from seeding into everybody's collective psyche. You know, it's funny. I, you know, I was thinking about this too. We're talking about forcing people not only to get this passport, which again, is going to create a type of two-tiered system in society because you will literally have, it's going to be like, you know, what's the old time machine? Uh, the uh, the mogs or whatever, they live underground. I can't remember the name of them. It begins with an M, but whatever, neither here nor there. But you're going to create a two-tiered society because you're going to have the people that simply want to get the vaccine anyway. They want to go along, you know, go along and go, and they'll take anything. These these. 
fucking imbeciles that have gone along with this shit the entire time. The same morons that drive with a mask on in their car. The same people that wear a mask when they're walking their dog outside and cross the street. Even though you're out in the windy open air. If you're at the beach, they put a mask on and swim next to you in the ocean. You're going to have these people that go along with them. And you're going to have people that don't want to inject a experimental, you know, this is an RNA vaccine, an experimental vaccine into their body, which has been rushed through testing. Then even that, they might not even, no matter how many times it's tested, nobody should be forced to take a vaccine into their body in order to go about the simple tasks that go along with their daily life. And I've already heard of people, my wife's friend, her father got fired by a company. He was an engineer. He got fired because he refused to take the vaccine. He's currently trying to get a lawyer to take his case in what is clearly wrongful termination. No lawyer will touch it because of the public relations nightmare. They don't want to be in local media as defending this man who dared to reject the vaccine. But I was thinking about this. You're talking about forcing people to take somebody into something into their body at no, you know, nowhere else. In history, can you say that this has been something that has been forced in order to to live your daily life, to restrict your fucking travel? And it made me think, you know, like that whole leftist thing, my body, my choice. And I was like, I saw somebody, I'll give her credit because I was flipping through Twitter. This is what kind of inspired this rant. Oh, shit. Can I find her name? Uh, I can't remember. Well, it was some chick on Twitter I was scrolling through and saw this. But it is interesting that leftists, they say, my body, my choice, right? And it applies to abortion. And I took it one step farther where she's saying, it's my body, my choice, but this doesn't apply to vaccines. Yeah, interesting. It applies to with, you can basically, your body, your choice, right? You can with 100% certainty murder an unborn child. And mind you, I'm not for restricting all abortions. I am for abortions up to a certain point. That's that's where I fall in the spectrum of, of abortion. But- in the leftist mindset, they want to give you the ability to murder a child up and until after the child is born. In certain circumstances, like in New York State, like in Virginia, Governor Ralph uh, Blackface Northam basically had had given his full permission to have a bill wherein if a child is born after a missed abortion, right? You know, the abortion didn't work, then they still kill. So with nearly 100% certainty, you will kill a child. And that's your body, your choice, right? You have, because that's in your body, you have that option. That's your choice. But God forbid you opt not to take a vaccine into your body. That's not your choice anymore. That has a nearly, I don't know, half a percent chance of killing somebody. I mean, let that sink in. Your body, your choice, 100% chance you kill somebody. Have that abortion. 100% chance. Less than 1% chance somebody dies of COVID because you, you've exposed them. And we're almost at herd immunity with COVID. This thing has been on, around forever. It's been around every time I hear a new report, it's been along, it's been even longer. But what? Because variants are supposed to scare us? Variants will, will exist forever. You can't live in fear of a fucking variant for the rest of your goddamn life. That's like living in fear of being hit by a car. It's like living in fear of having a turbine fall out of the sky and crush your skull. You can't live your life in a constant state of fear of the unknown. That's not living. Now, wrapping this all up, 
world leaders now, right, the UN, are they're calling for a pandemic treaty to be signed by all these world leaders because they say that no one is safe until everyone's safe. Of course, I hear that and I think the opposite. I hear pandemic treaty. I hear international collaboration. And I think no one is safe as long as everyone is safe. Because that means that they are going to try to put restrictions on everyone's movement. They are going to try to put lockdowns that are agreed upon on a global scale. They are going to try to restrict freedom. They're going to try to restrict your ability to interact, to live your life in the way in which you see fit completely. And they are going to try to give you no alternative, no other option, nowhere you can go and nowhere you can escape to get away from their rule. That's what pandemic treaty means to me. All right, let's uh, let's well, you know what? Let me give a quick shout out, guys. Let's let's pick this show up, pick it up like uh, you know, like with a good cup of coffee from our buddies over at Lorenzotti Coffee, guys. Lorenzotti, they've been a longtime supporter of our show, big time listeners. They're of course in our Patreon as well. But Lorenzotti Coffee, these guys, Lorenzotti Italy, they make fantastic coffee. You can order it online. They'll ship it right to you. And they not only have a wonderful bean, they've gone all over all over Italy finding the best beans for you. They not only do that, but these guys are libertarians. These guys are entrepreneurs. They also help companies to get themselves going off the ground. If you want to start a coffee house, and maybe now you can <laughs> get your vaccination passport. But if you want to start up a coffee house, They'll even help you with financing. They'll help you get that equipment. They'll get your espresso machine set up there. These guys are doing it. They're living the life. So what I want you to do is I want you to go to Lorenzani.coffee and use promo code LIONS to get yourself 10% off that order. Again, that's promo code LIONS and enjoy yourself a sweet ass cup of coffee. Think of me fondly when you do, preferably when you're on the, the shitter after you drink that coffee and it sets in. Okay, let's get back into a couple more topics here. Actually, one more thing. A couple more things in the vaccine. A couple quick jokes for you guys. As I figured out one way that we can get the Democrats on our side in fighting this vaccine passport, all we have to do is say that you need to show your vaccine passport to vote. Because God knows those fuckers don't want any restrictions on that. <laughs> Nothing that can identify you. <laughs> and also, uh, Major Biden, Joe Biden's dog, bit another person. He's been back at the White House one day, bit another person. So can we see his rabies vaccine passport? Okay, a couple quick things and then we'll wrap it up here. Uh, I was laughing earlier. And by the way, I'm on TikTok now. After my conversation, you know, I was up, uh, I was talking to uh, Luke and Typo over at Biting the Bullet podcast. Had a great time with those guys. So if you haven't heard that yet, check it out. I was just on this week and we had a great conversation, a lot of fun. Um, recommend those dudes. But I was joking with them because I was like, fuck, man, I need to get on TikTok, you know, to reach the younger generation. There's definitely a need for more content on there. And so now I'm doing just quick jokes from a libertarian perspective on there. Quick little rants, quick little jokes. Um, much shorter than my good morning fuckhead uh, <laughs> Patreon specials. These are obviously 30 seconds or less, but follow me on there at electric Liberty land. You can find me no problem. Uh, but I was ranting about this just real quick. Cause I thought it was so stupid. The green berets, the Delta force and the Navy seals now are under a diversity czar just for those organizations, just for those murder squads that we, especially trained elite murder squad soldiers 
they now have a multicultural diversity czar overseeing them. Similar to, let me just say, similar to what I was saying about, you know, the women in the military thing quickly. Why? I'm sorry. So now you're going to say it's not just the best of the best, right? And this is supposed to be the most elite troops that we have. So from a fundamental operational tactical perspective, if you have a multicultural czar in there trying to diversify the people that we go and send to murder people, isn't that going to make them less effective? I mean, aren't you supposed to just find, regardless of skin color, regardless of background, the best killers you got? Isn't that the whole point? Hey, who's the best killer here? You? You can kill people 60 ways? Come on, buddy. You're Delta Force. Move over, Chucky Norris. This is so fucking stupid. But not only that, can you imagine now? Okay, you're an Afghani child who just saw his father murdered at a wedding. You know, they were trying to take out some terrorist. Whoops. You know, some bullets flew here and there. They accidentally killed your father. If you're that kid, are you like, well, my father is dead, but at least he was shot by a boy who came from a background of the inner city. Thank you, America. Get the fuck out of here. Who is this for? Who? Let's make sure our killers are from diverse backgrounds. Great job. Great job, U.S. military. And then uh, another thing on the race, the race front here, I just... I couldn't help shaking my head, man, because, you know, I, I, I'd said this actually when I was on the podcast, uh, I'm plugging a lot of other people's podcasts here. I was on uh, Punk Rock Libertarians and I had started that show, which was also a lot of fun, but it started that show off just bitching about how I've been watching Sesame Street in the morning because my daughter is <coughs> just a, like right around that age, right? Where she's starting to pay attention to TV. So we put on Sesame Street in the morning while she's eating her food and I'm watching it. And you got, you know, black guys, Hispanic guys. Like there's, there's like one white person on the show. It's mostly people of color on the show. The children are every different color and race under the sun. Right. And, and the, the Muppets are obviously non-colored. They're, they are intentionally colored random shades. Right. Why? Okay. Well, they're intentionally covered that way because you don't want the children identifying specifically as one race or another one with these Muppets. The whole idea is that the Muppets are different colors because people are all different colors. Judge them on their character, not their color. Some people look weird. The monster, the Muppets, some of them look a little bit furry. Some of them don't. Some of them have long hair. Some of them, some of the big noses, some of the big eyes. Everybody looks different. You're supposed to accept people based upon their characteristics, not their physical appearance. And also just saying that I, I'm watching episodes of Sesame Street from like 1970. So we've been doing now for 50 years teaching children by virtue of all of these children's programs that everybody's nice, that multiculturalism is great. You know, black people, white people, Asian people, everybody gets along. 50 fucking years we've been doing this shit. If we still have it today, I'm guessing that it's not going anywhere. 50 years they've been doing it. And now we're seeing people bitch about race more than ever. Then why don't we fucking knock it off? Why don't we just knock it the fuck off? Because it's not working. But anyway, Sesame Street just introduced two specifically black Muppets. Not yellow like Ernie and Bird or like orange and yellow. Not not uh, purple like Telly Monster, not blue like Gover. No, they are black. They're black Muppets that look like people, which again defeats the point of 99% of the Sesame Street characters, they look like people and they're black and they're supposed to be black. Good job, assholes. You defeated the whole fucking point. You just undermined the entire point of the show. 
by introducing this woke crap-ass nonsense. Sunny days chasing my sense away. On my way to where the air is woke. All right, that's it, guys. Uh, from me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty. Don't forget to listen to Mark Clare on Mondays with his uh, flagship show, John Odermatt on Fridays with Finding Freedom, bringing you all your uh, inspirational and also heartbreaking stories of uh, justice, of finding freedom, of getting yourself forward in your life and finding some uh, some freedom on whatever terms that might be. And also, guys, don't forget, tune into Bravo and Beer, our hilarious recap show for reality TV. It is our uh, our Legion of Skanks. If you guys are coming over, I know some, we got some Legion of Skanks fans that have uh, jumped on board now. But that's our version of that. If you want to just have non-political, uh, un-PC commentary, check that out. Bravo and Beer, anywhere you can hear that. And of course, Mark and Remzo also have their podcast, um, Second Print Comics, uh, our, our non-political alternatives to try to expand into the mainstream, guys, try to make people like us for who we are, and then drop the libertarian bomb on them. You dropped a bomb on me, baby. All right, guys. See you next week.